to Data Driven Health Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Data-Driven Health Radio, where we are looking at the science, the stories, and the technology that is enabling people to take uh, a much more data-driven approach to managing their health. And with me today, I'm very honored to have Mr. Philip Blair. And Philip, I'll start by just a brief bio, and then maybe we can hear an intro in your own words, if that works for you. Dr. Philip Blair, MD, provides innovation, design, development, and implementation of cutting-edge medical knowledge to clinical management for wellness, disease, and cost control. In addition to his broad medical knowledge, Dr. Blair has an expert understanding of the self-insurance industry, medical claims, and database innovation and management. He is a rare professional who speaks the language of business, insurance, information, technology, law, patient care, and medicine. His special topics of expertise and interest are in statin drug injuries, cannabidiol, whole body vibration, and low carbohydrate ketogenic lifestyle for health. So really, really excited to have you on, Philip. All of your areas of expertise are very relevant for users of Heads Up Health and for listeners on the show. I'm especially interested in your background because you have this wonderful blend of the conventional medicine world around things like insurance and claims, but also these very holistic approaches to health as well, and an engineering background. So really looking forward to our discussion. Welcome, and um, maybe you can just uh, give us a a quick uh, intro in your own words as well. Well, David, thank you very much for having me. I'd uh, love to talk to you about these subjects that are so important in my life, mm-hmm. and I really want to make a difference in everybody else's life uh, using these particular techniques and methods and changing the course of the, the medical uh, trajectory that we have. Now, I have a very traditional background. I, I went to West Point. I was an Army officer, an artillery officer. I went into uh, medical school at the University of Miami. I went on to become a family physician, and I practiced in family fa- in family practice within the military until I retired in 1996. From there, I went into occupational medicine, looking at workers' injuries, mm-hmm. and then I evolved into disease management, specifically looking at kidney disease and, and trying to figure out exactly what the barriers were. And when I was in that area, I was looking at medical claims, and I discovered the massive amounts of information that were available looking at a patient claim and understanding what was going on with a patient just by looking at the claims over a time period. Yep. And one thing I know about the claims industry is that you can look at the information there, but you don't necessarily have access to the data from the laboratory reports or the, the, the lab test results themselves. So you're basically trying to put piece together a history just from the claims data. But I imagine that if you had access to other data, like lab test results, like blood sugar readings, and then you could mash that up with the claims data, it could be an even more interesting picture. But it sounds like you were able to start deducing a lot just from what you were seeing in the claims information. Right. You can see a lot with the claims information. So you get a general gestalt about yep. what's going on with the patient, but you can't yep. see the details. Yes. Now, when you identify the patient who has 
a significant problem, then you can start digging in the details. In the first place, you got to go is the medical records and uh, for the laboratory that's missing and the parameters that you yes. need to really assess how serious that problem is. Yep. And that's actually initially how you and I got connected. We were introduced through a mutual friend and you and I spent about an hour last week just going over how Heads Up Health works and we're coming at it from a different angle. We're looking at aggregating all of the laboratory tests, all of the patient generated data. We don't have access to the claims information. So I imagine if you were able to put all of that information together, that could be an extremely powerful combination. Well, the first thing that I always do when I identify a suspect patient or a candidate is I've got to go in and find out if those uh, laboratories or uh, that central data, those parameters, really indicate that it is a disease. Just because it's on a claim doesn't mean the person That's has right. it. It yep. just means that they have been marked or tagged and somebody's been labeling them with some illness. And so, for example, uh, kidney disease, they may label it as kidney disease, but how severe is it? What's the degree? And yep. the only way you can look at that is by looking at the laboratory and the notes. And that's the heavy lifting, David. Yep. If we don't have that information, it, it's really hard to get. You Sometimes you need a crowbar in order to get that information out of providers. Yes. Uh, and yet it, it's supposed to be easily available. And I, th I think that's one of the things that cripples uh, current medical practices because that information is not immediately available to get a true assessment of the patient. Yes. Well, this is a bit of a divergence from where I thought we'd start, but I do want to clarify one point here for those listening, especially for our listeners in the United States where an insurance, and perhaps you can educate us where an insurance company will have access to claims data. They may see a code like you mentioned, for a specific condition. They may not know the severity because it's just a claim and a diagnostic code. Now, in the United States, the insurance company does not necessarily have access to your actual data from the provider. Those two are completely separate silos. And is that a regulatory thing that separates it? Or are there instances where insurance providers can also get access to the data that's stored in your provider's EHR, for example. Generally, the policy is for the insurers that they get a release of information from the patient when they Got initially it. sign on so that they can get that information. Got also, it. providers who are part of the system realize that in order to get their claims paid, they have to provide documentation, and that Got means it. that they're going to provide those medical records of the patients. And now there's a trend where I think uh, providers are actually becoming their own payers. And there are certain systems where that's all coming under one roof, Stanford being a great example of that. I think it's less common, but those models are also starting to emerge. And, and then in that situation, they would have the end-to-end -end visibility on the patients. Well, that's an exciting new area where um, practitioners are developing their um, own programs and they are using a, um, a monthly system and you can eliminate more than 50% of the costs involved in medical care by eliminating the insurance angle. You have yep. a whole staff of people that's required to get medical records, to get insurance yes. claims paid, and all of that processing. Eliminate that. And I know providers in this area of Washington State that uh, have cut their rates by, by half, but they require uh, an um, ongoing payment and, um, uh, and not allowing insurance to come through their system. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. Okay. Well, it's, it's great that you have this incredible depth of understanding in that world, the insurance and the claims world, because we're talking ah, about completely but there's different. More. Yes, there's more. Yes, <laughs> please. 
So that was the disease management area and the claims management area. Now, I left that company after a while. I didn't feel like they were doing all the things ethically that they should, even though we made huge strides in the area of kidney disease in terms of backing people up from their uh, severe kidney failure into a more reasonable area and a life, um, sort of a life fulfillment where they're not impaired. And just by using a lot of um, therapies that have been described in the literature, but the uh, practitioners and the, and the doctors were not really following those criteria. Yep. We also had a number of innovations, and I found the most effective area was actually dietitians. Yep. Dietitians are the most effective uh, care provider when it comes to kidney disease yep. and other diseases as well. And that's Absolutely. why I've expanded to a program of disease management, broad-spectrum disease management, yep. using dietary and a lifestyle approach. And the most effective diet for so many of these problems is a ketogenic diet. A low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet corrects for so many of these difficulties. Yes. Excellent. Well, that will be a topic that will resonate with a lot of our, our listeners here. So on your profile, there, there's four areas of expertise that are, that are identified that we talked about before. Uh, statin drug injuries is, is one. Cannabidiols, which we'll spend the bulk of the show on. Whole body vibration, which I think is incredibly fascinating. I'd love to learn more. And then low-carb keto. So what I was hoping we could do, Dr. Blair, is maybe just spend, say, five minutes on statin drug injuries, whole body vibration, low-carb keto, and learn a little bit about your areas of expertise. What listeners can do. We have a lot of listeners in Heads Up Health who are taking control of their health for the first time. In many cases, they're starting to piece together their history and starting to see signs of disease as they go further back in their data that they couldn't get before. And so there's a lot of individuals who, particularly statins being a great example, I've spoken to a number of users who are dealing with, with side effects from those drugs. So maybe we can spend a few minutes on each of those topics and then the bulk of the time, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk about the, the cannabidiols and the work you're doing at uh, Elixium, is that right? Elixinol. Elixinol, yes. It's fascinating. E-L-I-X-I-N-O-L. Absolutely. So I'd like to spend three quarters of our time there, but maybe you can just start with the topic of statin drug injuries. I, again, we, we have thousands of users who are working on issues related to cholesterol, many of them being prescribed statins and very skeptical about taking them. Many who have reversed those cholesterol issues through dietary interventions many who have some, some permanent side effects. So, I mean, that's a whole show on its own, but maybe you could just share a little bit about your expertise in that area. I'll try to abbreviate it as much as I can. Uh, in, uh, I moved to Florida for three years, and when I was in Florida, in Melbourne, Florida, I met an, a former astronaut, uh, Dr. Dwayne Gravelin. Mm -hmm. And working with him closely, I discovered, of course, he is the was the premier in terms of the anti-statin movement uh, because of his research and, and development and his own personal injury and talking about creating a website for 10,000 people to participate in, identifying these uh, terrible risks. He had the traumatic event of having a, a global amnesia on two occasions directly as a result of statin, statin uh, use. And, and he was probably the bellwether event and he started uh, pr producing a lot of information and organized quite a bit of the anti-statin approach. He was also looking into great detail about the science. So I was working with him closely, and we co-authored a paper on uh, the um, adverse effects of statin 
And uh, that was a published article um, in uh, Physicians and Surgeons um, in the United States. Yep. We were, were very pleased with that particular article, but it was a sort of a manifestation of a lot of the work that we had been doing and looking at statins. And so I was really educated uh, with regard to statins. I, I certainly matched up with him. And I, I was actually stepping in and speaking for him as he was uh, fairly elderly and had some impairments at that time. Yep, understood. So this is an astronaut who had a personal event related to That's right. these, these prescriptions. And like many people, myself included, that sets us down a path. In my case, it was, it was to create Heads Up Health based on my personal experience. In his personal experience, it was to start to put education and information out there to potentially help and inform, maybe even protect to a certain degree, other people who may be going down this path. So am I understanding the scenario? And then you came in to help him evangelize and communicate right. and post and share. Okay, that, that's fantastic. Well, part of that was the exploration of the, the damage that statins uh, are doing um, yep. and their involvement in medical care, conventional medical care, without any of the awareness of the complications and the problems that are associated with, um, with statins. You yep. know, things like um, a 15 or 14 or 15 percent incidence of diabetes being induced yep. by statins. Yep. Things like permanent um, neuropathy. Being yep. occurring. As many as 24, 25% of people will develop a neuropathy. It's not all permanent. About half of them are permanent. It's yep. not a matter of just taking it uh, one time and, oh, stop the medications and your muscle aches go away. Yep. This is a permanent change that will occur. And what other kinds of uh, side effects and uh, related injuries can result? I spoke to one of our users who had some, some permanent joint damage. You've mentioned a couple others in terms of neuropathy and diabetes. Some people, I think, who are listening may not even have made the association. They may already be experiencing some of these things and not be aware of that the uh, correlation, for example. So what might be some of the other things that an individual should look for if they're currently on these medications or, or being prescribed these medications? Well, number one is your general feeling of well-being. You lose yep. energy. It depletes your energy uh, ability, so you feel fatigued all the time. Not only that, you'll have muscle pains and cramps. Yep. And that's not just a disconcerting symptom. That really amounts to some malformations of, uh, and some destruction of muscle cells to the point where if enough of those uh, go out, they actually damage the kidney. So you can develop kidney failure and then permanent damage to the kidney area. Yep. So there are, there are cognitive issues that occur using the statins and a, a number of uh, medical problems that could be generated. We're just beginning to yep. see what those are. And it's yep. all misguided in the idea of lowering cholesterol, that somehow that's going to be protective. Cholesterol is a healing molecule. Yes, it, it is. Repair substance. With as a disease source. Yes. It's just a, a, um, a molecule that you can identify. And in the brain, we make most of our, our cholesterol, 80% of our cholesterol. And to stop that particular process, particularly in elderly, makes them more prone to dementia and neurodestructive and neurodegenerative type of conditions. Yes, and I can start to see how that's now starting to feed into some of the work you're, you're currently doing with some of the uh, alternative remedies that we're going to speak about. So the, the paper you published and the resources that were published as part of your work with Dwayne Gravelin, where would people find that information if they wanted to look well, at it? We'll, we'll post it. It was uh, done in um, 2014, so yep. it was released at that time. Yep. And are there other resources online? 
Dr. Blair, that you would direct people to if they wanted to start some of their own exploration into this, this topic? SpaceDoc is, is a still an active website. It has a huge amount of information, and it's uh, quite active in, in providing a, a resource of information about the derogatory effects related to statins. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you. Okay, well, um, the next question I had was around whole body vibration. And I am incredibly intrigued about the notion of sound healing, frequency healing, light-based healing. I think as we learn more about how our bodies are engineered, about how entanglement and physics and everything works in terms of our human experience, these are topics that are incredibly interesting to me. So can you share a little bit about your work in that area? Yes. So I was working in disease management. We found that um, a very low carbohydrate diet was effective for all kinds of things including depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. and arthritis. Yep. Well, not that you would normally expect that to happen, but these were very, very effective areas. Yep. One of the problems that we had with, and we continue to have, is people who are severely obese, is that they don't exercise. They yep. can't exercise. Yes. And how do you get uh, somebody uh, who is not exercising to an exercise point? Is there a passive exercise ability? And whole body vibration may offer a solution in that. In fact, whole body vibration is now being used in intensive care units for people who are bedridden and disabled uh, in that intensive care setting to exercise them. It's an interesting um, engineering and, and physics type of problem. And the physiology is fascinating. When you are on a platform that is moving uh, like this, it's oscillating, then um, as one foot goes up, then the other one goes down and vice versa. When the muscle goes into relaxation phase, uh, as it goes down, it actually contracts. We have a reflex contraction that occurs. And capitalizing on that particular effect, you can exercise your muscles, individual muscles, at the rate of 40 times a second. So in, in essence, you can get a, you can mirror walking and doing a mile in less than a minute Yep. using a whole body vibration at 40 oscillations per second. Yeah, the first time I came across that was when I went to one of uh, Dave Asprey's first conferences back in 2012. This was still when, when he was still underground and small, and he's obviously exploded since then, but he had the bulletproof vibe there. And he was, I had a chance to step on it and try it. And so that's a, that's a platform like you described that oscill oscillates at, at a defined frequency that's that's been engineered for for optimal health so it sounds like that's also come up in your line of work which can be extremely helpful i'm particularly interested in the people who are bedridden because as you mentioned it's extremely difficult to even move in some cases so what kinds of changes would you see for example for someone who's dealing with a chronic condition maybe it's obesity related or something like that where you introduce vibration into a hospital bed, for example? Well, there's a lot of talk about vibration. And when you're talking about whole body vibration, that's maybe that's a misnomer. You're talking about sound vibration. You're talking about other types of vibration that may have particular value, but this is really a mechanical oscillation. That's what I was referring to. So can you put that into a clinical setting, into a, into a hospital bed? Uh, there's ways to do that. There's a, they tilt the patient up at about 45 or 30 degrees, Yep. And you strap them to the base unit and yes. you allow it to oscillate. You're not going to necessarily do it 30 hertz or 40 hertz. 
yeah. you're going to adjust it to meet their particular needs. Understood. So the rate that it would be needed for storing uh, some degree of muscle function and flexibility is around 10 to 15 cycles per second. You get up into the area of about um, 16 or 18, then you're talking about muscle building. You're actually building muscle in that way. Now, is it going to make you lose weight? No, it's not in particular going to make you lose weight. It's not like those fanny belts from the 1950s. Yes. Uh, it doesn't make you lose weight, but there is a lot of signaling that goes on with the body with exercise, just healthy signaling that indicates to the body to balance its hormones, um, help it with uh, some of the epinephrine and the yep. adrenaline and the cortisol that, that are circulating. Yep, that, that makes perfect sense. And I've seen in other instances, we have a lot of people who are measuring things like steps per day using Fitbit. And I've seen negative press saying we did, we did controlled studies and, and the Fitbit group didn't actually lose weight, the people who were tracking. But it's not about losing weight, it's about movement. And movement at any level has cellular benefits, muscular benefits. So like you said, even though you're not, move, you're not losing weight, just the actual movement in general, is where a lot of the health benefits come, even if it's not showing up on the scale per se. So um, well, that's right. And you know, people don't lose weight by exercise. That's a total misconception. Yep. And yet, it's been promoted by that particular industry, the health, um, fitness industry, in terms of doing exercise. It, it's helpful because it signals the body. It gives uh, yes. the balance of the hormones that we talked about. Yep. But it doesn't make you lose weight. You cannot do enough exercise to burn off all the fat that you accumulate. You've got to do that with dietary measures. And that's where the low carbohydrate yes. and ketogenics come in. And what about for someone who is healthy and just wants to perform at a higher level or wants to use whole body vibration as a biohack, for example? The, the Bulletproof Vibe last time I looked, this was years ago, was somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500 to have a unit at home that you, could, that you could actually use on a regular basis, which obviously puts it out of reach for most people. So are there other more affordable ways to get access to this modality for people who are healthy? But well, there's, just all, ranges. Yeah, okay. there's all ranges of prices uh, that yeah. are out there. Some of them are not as good, but yeah. anytime um, you, you uh, can use a whole body vibration. I particularly like the, the oscillation one that goes like the, the teeter totter up and down versus yeah. the uh, linear. There is a very nice effect. You don't necessarily have to get the top of the line. If sure. you can, certainly that's beneficial. But there's a lot of variations. In a few blocks from where I live here in Vancouver, Washington, there's actually a vibration studio. And they have a dozen machines or a half dozen machines there. And they bring people in for a program therapy session. Um, and they, have, um, they do it three times a week. In fact, we're developing with, uh, with the proprietor there, um, uh, Misty, I'm, I'm developing a program to look at and to treat PTSD using this um, uh, vibration, whole body vibration, along with cannabidiol. Combining those two measures um, may uh, give uh, the magnificent benefit yep. uh, for people with PTSD. That's cool. And perhaps uh, we'll include some of your recommendations on some uh, makes and models out there for people who are at home and might like to try this type of therapy. So if you have a couple products you might recommend, we'd, we'd love to include those so that people don't have to go out there and use a trial and error process. Are there specific uh, models or products or price ranges that, you could, uh, that we could include in the show notes? Well, uh, unfortunately, the price range does get up into over a thousand dollars. I mean, yep. I worked with, uh, and I have a whole a whole body uh, vibration unit from Hypervibe, 
And Hypervive has been really good with a, a, a very effective um, machine that gets into the range and the gravity of formation that needs to be there. You know, what you're doing with this uh, pushing you up and dropping you down is is really is sometimes considered hypergravity yep. um, by forcing up. And that extra gravity, actually, it makes you work harder and yep. it also has that reflex contraction. Yep. So um, Hypervibe was one company that I was uh, I had worked with and I had several of their units. I was very pleased with uh, yep. the results from that area. Yep. The other units I, I don't have um, a lot of experience with. I can't do much in the way of confidence. But you could spend um, $15,000 on one of these units. On the, on the other hand, an Amazon unit for $300, I'm, I'm not enthusiastic about that. Understood. Okay, thank you. So uh, moving right along, low-carb keto. This is a subject near and dear to my own heart. I've had wonderful results using low-carb ketogenic approaches as have most of the users within Heads Up Health. That's a lot of the current engineering focus within our product is building features specifically to help people on this journey. And where the data comes in is to help people personalize these approaches for their own body because someone who has no metabolic dysfunction whatsoever may have a much different experience with keto than someone who does have significant dysfunction. And being able to fine-tune and tailor things like the carbohydrate level to enter into ketosis for two people could be completely different. Being able to monitor your blood sugar and be able to start to see that come down can start to help you give you clues that you're doing things right. Being able to track things like blood, breath, and urine-based ketones, for example, and then being able to see your blood work right next to it. So we're doing a ton of work in that space. We're integrating all of the devices and apps and other products that can help people figure this out because it's not like you go to the doctor and get the keto instruction manual. It's something that you decide to take on yourself. You start this educational process, as you know. If you're fortunate enough to work with an expert, you can probably short circuit a lot of the learning curve and a lot of the trial and error. But most people out there are just hearing about it anecdotally, starting to do a lot of their own research. It's a trial and error process that can be overwhelming for some people. So there's definitely areas where I think data can help, but I'd love to hear how you're using these approaches. I know that your experience in chronic disease management and the chronic diseases you're working with are all very closely correlated to the benefits of keto. So how did you stumble into this world and, and how are you applying these principles in your in Well, your remember back in uh, 2000, I was part of this uh, disease management program. I aligned myself with a very effective dietitian, um, and we worked and, and performed miracles with kidney failure patients. Yep. Uh, after we got out, we started our disease management program. At that point, it was it was the, I discovered that she was using a form of a low carbohydrate approach, mm -hmm. and that's where she was getting her results from. Well, with we kidney disease that. specifically. Yes. Okay. Great. And we capitalize it. Well, most of the kidney disease and the ones who are in failure, there's, there's a lot of metabolic syndrome in diabetes. Yep. And that leads to the inflammation of the kidney and leads yep. to the disease that goes yep. on. If you can address that, and naturally, you've got um, a low carbohydrate approach is the ideal therapy for any type of diabetes or metabolic syndrome. So you start somebody on that, you're going to stop the inflammation and you're going to stop the progression of kidney disease with that. So in discovering that, reading Gary Tobbs and yep. finding out about good calories and bad calories yes. and understanding uh, the core metabolics and physiology that was going on, 
as well as the erroneous and false literature that was out there. And applying this, we saw, I was just seeing such dramatic improvement in patients' lives and their conditions using this approach. And the farther we got into towards ketogenesis or ketogenic diet, we did better and better in using that. But not everybody's ready to go there. So it takes an enormous amount of hand-holding for most people. With what you're doing, that's great. People are on board, they are diving in, and they're using all of the tools at their disposal to guide them through this course. And you're exactly right. It is customized to the individual. 30% of the population has no problems with carbohydrates. They can eat whatever they want. They don't have any difficulty. But the the rest of us, the 70%, have a great deal of difficulty. And Mm -hmm. carbohydrates, in large measure, are poisonous. And they run into major problems. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, exactly why we started down this path. When I first built Heads Up Health, I'd never even heard of the ketogenic diet. And we put the product out there and, and some of our most active users were logging in three, four, five, ten 10 times a day. And so I was flattered, first of all, that somebody had found value in our widget and uh, encouraged them to keep going. And then I tried it myself and it was fantastic. I didn't need to use it for any specific medical condition. It was mostly uh, an N equals one experiment just because I kept hearing about it from people, but it's been two plus years for me since I've been on uh, the keto diet. I've had wonderful results. Most of our users are using keto for diabetes, prediabetes, cancer as an adjunct therapy, all of the other conditions that go along with it. So it's it's something that is very relevant for all of our users. So just but everybody requires a custom approach, and you know Absolutely. your application has a, a you know terrific feature in the the ability to gather that data in one place so that you can see a linear relationship and the associations that you need to see. Find out how many carbs that you can take in. That's right. Yeah. How much food can you eat? How many calories is okay to have? Absolutely. Um, what substances will throw you off track? Yes. And what happens if you break down and you make a mistake or you binge at some point? How quickly do you get back in there? So, yep. you know, in this particular area, there's a lot of intensity about monitoring and working through those uh, parameters to find out what is the optimum diet and methodology for you. You know, I worked with uh, Eric Westman for... Yep. I know Dr. Westman. Yep. For uh, three days, I covered down on him while he was seeing his patients. I really started to understand all that he was using and the incredible results that he was getting at Duke University using this particular approach. And uh, I I was uh, really excited to work with him and then uh, to gain that information. And I really love his very practical approach about getting so many people um, on board with this this program who are really ignorant of. You know, the people that you're working with with this application generally are knowledgeable on it. They have done the research. They've looked at the, the literature. But a lot of the people that Eric was working with had never seen anything. Sure. A strange uh, sort of phenomenon that he was using in, a, in the Duke University setting that was not accepting of, yep. of what his program was. So exciting to see that. But it does take hand-holding for people who are not already indoctrinated or self-indoctrinated. Yes, it's it's not easy, and it's and it's intimidating, and it's overwhelming, and and the amount of experts out there that can scale to help anyone who needs this is just never going to work. So, so that's why I, we incorporated the dietitian group. So yep. with myself at the core, a program called Pro Health Advisor, and what I read about that on your profile. Yep, we've engaged with a self-insured business that's providing health insurance for their employees. 
And then I use the data to identify individuals who have significant disease, whether it's diabetes, fatty liver, or metabolic syndrome, or cancer, or arthritis, target them, contact them, get them involved, and recruit them to talk with our dietitians to get started on this particular program. And then we monitor them for results. And by doing that, they actually get a savings within their insurance that they don't have to pay co-pays or deductibles for those medical problems that we're working with as a part of this health maintenance and wellness program. So very, very innovative. And we're saving thousands and thousands of dollars in this process. Yeah, well, I can only hope that more insurance companies start to come on board and start to endorse and reimburse and support these types of interventions because that's obviously not the case today. And there are different theories about why that might be. There, there's certainly no prescriptions involved in this procedure. And so there's it gets complicated. But would love to see more employers, more insurance companies coming on board to recommend these interventions. And well, here's the problem. It's the money at risk. Yes. The insurers don't have any money at risk. Yep. It's the employers who have their money at risk. Yep. Um, and then uh, so, or the, some of the large institutions who are the, what they call the carriers, who've got the big financing at the top. Yep. But otherwise, the insurers are just a pass-through. Whatever yep. the current rates are, they're just passing those along. And there's not, uh, they don't have any skin in the game. So they yep. don't care what, yep. what comes out. They're just passing along the prices. Fair enough. Well, um, that's definitely an area we'll continue to invest in. We, we see the benefits of these approaches every day. We, we've invested heavily in supporting anyone who wants to come on this diet. There's absolutely a, um, an educational and knowledge barrier to entry. There's absolutely the need to personalize. So we hope our product is helping in that regard. And it's definitely an area we're going to continue to invest in. And I think all of this is leading up to the the, the, the conversation I'm most interested in, which is uh, the work around cannabidiols. I've had family members who have had incredible experiences using these these products personally. One family member in particular who had kidney disease and was able to use different interventions around um, cannabidiol, specifically um, medical marijuana, which is obviously separate, but in the same thread. So I'd, I'd love to segue into that. And we have a number of our listeners who have submitted questions that I'd love to get to at the end. But first and foremost, I think let's just level set on the difference between CBD and THC because they're very different. One is a psychoactive and, and one, one of them, there, there is no psychoactive component to the CBD. So let's just dispel that first and foremost so that people don't think that this is going to be a psychoactive experience. So just break down the difference for us first between those two and then we'll build from there. Yeah, let's put it into simple categories. Basically, you've got two plants. Yes. You've got marijuana yep. and you've got industrial hemp. They're both yes. cannabis, but they're completely different characters. The Correct. marijuana is that short little squatty uh, yep. plant that uh, yep. they're going after the bud. Well, the industrial hemp is a tall, lanky that's used yep. for fiber. It doesn't contain any significant amounts of psychoactive substance. Yep. Now, marijuana contains THC in significant yep. amounts. Some, sometimes it's up much as 25% or even higher. But the industrial hemp has very, very low amounts. And, and usually those fields and those plants are tested to see what they're contained. So in, um, the, among the cannabinoids, and so if you're talking about these particular mod- molecules, which are about 22 carbons, yep. uh, so that, and the reason I bring that up is that's very similar to omega-3 um, yep. fats, is that there are 22 carbons. And I'll get to the connection with that later on. 
But these small molecules, and if they're in a certain structure, they represent cannabinoids. And these are signaling molecules. It's not a matter of um, they're being metabolized. They're signaling molecules, and they signal, and they have an impact on the body in different areas. Yep. Now, you know THC causes a high. that causes a certain amount of impairment. Yep. It does cause some, provides some analgesia. Um, but it also, and it's some anti-cancer effects, but there's a lot of impairment um, and there's a lot of hunger. So it's stimulating a number of different aspects, not only the neurotransmitters but it, and the immunologic, but also doing the hormones in particular, the gut. Yep. If you move away from the substances with THC and you're looking at industrial hemp side, the industrial hemp side doesn't have any significant THC. Yep. And so you're getting mostly is going to be cannabidiol. Now, there are other cannabinoids, but for this discussion, let's just stay on the topic of THC and CBD. And yep. I'm going to focus entirely on CBD because yes. what I've seen is that the medical benefits, and we talk about medical marijuana, which is really a blend of THC and CBD. Yes. I've seen all, almost all of the medical benefits be available in cannabidiol alone so that THC is not required. Now, it does offer some benefits in special cases, yes. not at high levels, but at very low levels, and that will amplify and enhance the effectiveness of the CBD, but it's not required. That's a misunderstanding that a lot of people read into it, and it's it's a little bit of a fiction that is promulgated by the marijuana industry. I think that's really important to clarify just for everybody that there, there are no, what we're talking about here is CBD oil. I think a lot of people may associate that with marijuana, which is not the case. We're talking about the non-psychoactive component. People may have had experiences with products that are blends because they do sell blends in different ratios of THC to CBD. That's also not what we're talking about here. So what we're going to talk about for this discussion is exclusively the CBD-based component. I took a quote that uh, you made on the on the website for your company saying that cannabidiol is the most profound and exciting health-promoting substance I have ever witnessed or experienced, which presumably is why you've gotten involved in working with this firm out of the Denver, Colorado area that's bringing this product to market. And because it's 100% CBD-based, you can ship it anywhere in the world. This is not a regulated product at all. So we'll be specifically speaking in those terms, and I just want to clarify for everyone that, that that's the product we're talking about none of the blends, just specifically the CBD oils. So for those who have tried it, had a product that gave them a psychoactive experience, we're not talking about that. This is a very specific discussion. Well, let me just say that the, about the jurisdiction and the legal aspects of it, there's a lot of debate about it. Sure. A lot of concern. If you really want to read about more detail and have an understanding uh, going back and forth, then you might look at Wikipedia. Uh, they've yep. done a pretty good uh, discussion about cannabidiol. Um, the federal government, what they say and what uh, the states are saying and what the science says, putting those all together um, is a bit of confusing and you'll get different opinions from different people. Fact is that Elixinol is a global company yes. and it's providing cannabidiol in 23 different countries and every state in the union and it's available by internet ordering anywhere. Yes. And and personally, I talk to people in Japan, in Slovenia, in the UK, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Korea. Yep. You know, I've got a dialogue with thousands of people in all different areas, and they're all using cannabidiol and just a wonderful effectiveness for many of the different things. But the legal aspect is really a touchy area. I've Absolutely. never seen anybody 
incarcerated or any legal problems because of it specifically, but uh, there is that risk and concern. Yep. But on your web, on your company's website, the product can be ordered by anyone within the United States and in addition to 23 other countries. Exactly. So, so let's set the record straight on that. Now, if you could, Dr. Blair, educate us on CBD and some of the information I found fascinating was the phytonutrients that are involved in CBD, which can be incredibly healing and getting it in its natural package also is the way nature intended it to be all packaged up versus distilling these things out. So if you could, for those who are not familiar, educate us on some of those phytonutrient and other health benefits that are part of the CBD plant. Because when I was reading it on your website, it was incredible. The antioxidant benefits, there are signaling benefits. This is an incredibly powerful compound. So could you share a little bit more on that? Yeah, be glad to. Now, when you take um, a, the cannabis plant and you extract the juices of that, you really are looking for a product that is a full spectrum, that has a little bit of the other cannabinoids that are need to be there. And some of the polyphenols and uh, some of the other substances that are naturally occurring, they produce a what is called an entourage effect. They really balance out and they round out uh, the cannabidiol so that it is more effective and it works within the body in a more effective way. Now you can take, and there are products that are being made with just pure isolate of cannabidiol. Yes. And it, doesn't have any of the other molecules on. I haven't seen the performance of those particular pure mar- molecules as well, performing as well as the full spectrum products. Yep. I think that's why you should look at a full spectrum rather than an isolate. Yep. And cannabinoids in general have very specific healing properties. And so perhaps you can just explain a little bit about more, more about what they are and just get into some of the mechanisms around how these can be so powerful. I also found it interesting that on your website that every culture going back into human history has identified these as plant with incredible healing properties. So how do these compounds in there work? And share a little bit more for those of us who are, who are new to, to how this stuff works. Well, I think the most important understand and understand is that with Within our bodies, we have our own cannabinoid system. Yes. It's called just like the endocrine system. Endo yes. meaning inside mm-hmm. and crum meaning um, having to do with hormones. So we have our own endocrine system. We also have our own endocannabinoid. Yes. We make our own THC-like molecule yep. right inside our nerve cells and right within some of the um, molecules uh, that are macrophages and immune cells. And so we've got an entire system that is sensitized for our own cannabinoids, but this plant has found a way to um, provide the phytocannabinoids, the one from the plant, to be able to deliver the body and signal to make changes. You know, what over the last four years, I've realized that the endocannabinoid system, our, our endogenous system, is, is a mediator. It's like a translator for what's going on outside of the world and bringing it in, as well as what's going on inside, like in behavior, psychology, experiences, emotion, and putting that out. Changes on our physical body as a result yes. of that. So yeah. it's, it's really acting in an intermediary way. Now, the main functions or that I see with the cannabinoids within the body uh, amount to the neurotransmitter area. The synapses between the nerves are very sensitive and the cannabinoids actually modulate in that particular gap between the nerve transmission. So neurotransmitters, key and, and important. Number two is 
immunologically. Yep. We've got an immunologic system and we're constantly exposed to um, immunologic threat in different areas. And right now, uh, the common disease problem that we're encountering is an overactive immune system. So there's yes. development of autoimmune diseases where we start mm-hmm. to attack our bodies yep. or whatever region. And that also represents in, in a great deal of allergies that, that manifest. So um, how can that be controlled? And so can, cannabinoids might be a way to control a lot of that hyperimmune reaction that's going on. Yep. And then third area, and it's not the least and it's not the only, has to do with hormones. Yep. The modulation of the adrenal hormones, of the thyroid hormones, of the pituitary hormones, of the sex hormone. Yep. These are all under the modulation of the endocannabinoid system. Now, yep. We didn't really know much about this, but you know, the breast produces uh, a magnificent cannabinoid, a, um, anandamide is the name of the common uh, word for uh, the stimulating substance. And that cannabinoid is actually what stimulates the child to suckle. If you've ever watched a nursing child, you've seen them um, go to the nipple and they get really excited when they get millicose to the nipple and they smell the milk. But when they latch onto the nipple, anybody watching a child will be taken by a number of gulps of that breast and then they'll roll their eyes back and, and smile and go into yes. a very relaxed state. That's cannabinoid. Yes. That's what's doing that. Okay. And the same thing is involved in the in um, the setting up of the uterus in preparation for the egg implantation. And the first cannabinoid receptors are actually on the morula. The early fertilized egg actually has cannabinoid receptors that are active. And it's very, very important that we have a balanced cannabinoid system in that process. Now that leads to a problem that we're, we're seeing more and more of is a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency phenomenon. Yes. And we're seeing more and more of these diseases match up and correlate with imbalances in the endocannabinoid system. So a lot of the mystery diseases that we have there may in fact be related to dysfunctions in the endocannabinoid. And that's where these phytocannabinoids come in. Nutrient- they can serve as signaling molecules yep. and to return balance to the body and restore that unbalanced system. Yes. So in, in, in many senses, it's a deficiency in the body's own levels of these compounds. And I think it, it's just incredible what you said there. We, for those, let's just repeat it here. The, the body has its own internal end, endocannabinoid system, which is in the body already. We're born with it. And it has signaling implications for everything from the neurotransmitters in our brain to the immune system to the hormonal system. Adrenal and thyroid are, are both epidemic conditions out there already. Hyper and hypothyroid, adrenal dysregulated issues due to stress, due to environmental toxins, due to all kinds of different things. So this endogenous system that we have has signaling implications in all of those areas. And you're seeing a deficiency in the, whatever you want to call it, the food system, the health system. We're, we're not getting enough of those compounds naturally into our bodies. And that's the potential for or a lot of the CBD-based products to come in, exogenously take them, and then start to balance out and regulate some of these internal signaling systems inside of the body. Am I, am I feeding that back correctly? You are, but you're putting it too narrow. You're putting it on the food, and it's much broader than food. It's experiences. Yes. For instance, in PTSD, childhood abuse uh, as actually leads to the potential for PTSD. In fact, that's probably the most uh, predisposing factor, whether it's child abuse or abuse and neglect. All of those things lead to a shifting and a dysfunction of the endocannabinoids. Experiences, life experiences. Yes. 
Wow. So that's what I was talking about, this translation. Yes. That these events that are occurring outside are being translated into the body in terms of physical illness yep. through the endocannabinoid system. Fantastic. We didn't know how it worked, but yep. now we're seeing this evidence of the sensitive sensitivity that the body has to these environmental things. And that goes along with the microbiome. The microbiome is also signaling in similar way. Just as the microbiome produces some of the beta-hydroxybutyrate, Yep. is stimulating and balancing and restoring for the brain. The same thing has happened with the endocannabinoid system. There's signaling that goes on with the bacteria with and that's using some of the endocannabinoid system. In fact, one of the highest populations of cannabinoids, endocannabinoids, is located in the gut. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that as a separate uh, issue, but the gut has a massive amounts of neurotransmitters. Yes. And so therefore, it's going to be quite a bit involved with um, the endocannabinoid as a regulatory measure sure. for uh, those neurotransmitters. So let, let's take this forward then to some of the applications, specific applications. Most of our users are working on, on one or more chronic diseases. And I'd love to just talk a little bit about how these products can be implemented. I've, I've got a list of them here, but maybe we could start with migraines, for example, and then just run down the list. I've got migraines, we have uh, diabetes, cancer, especially, and then just kind of go from there. But how are these making their way into the treatment of these specific conditions? And when well, might mostly, you want to start um, employing them? It turns out that patients are finding them. They're, they're, they're failing at usual therapies. And yes. Being introduced, and they're looking for something more. Yep. Typically, um, I'm fairly transparent, so people are able to find me and ask me for a consultation to find out if CBD is going to be effective for their condition. Yep. Especially when they haven't been successful with the standard medications, and it's essentially the frustration that patients feel that sure. uh, gone so far, and they haven't been benefiting from conventional therapy. Then they're ready to flip over to do something alternatively and to in incorporate the possibility and do some experimentation, N equals one, for themselves um, with the cannabidiol in particular. So let's get into a a few specific examples. I know diabetes is one, which is is ultimately... We're going to go back to migraine because you brought that up first. Migraine is is particularly valuable. Now, using cannabis for migraine was actually uh, the primary therapy in the mid-1800s. And it was on in in standard medical journals as well as available as a substance uh, on from the pharmacy. It was actually prepared and it was in the pharmacies a standard way. Yep. And cannabidiol is just as effective uh, for migraine headaches. And I've, I've been able to have people stop and prevent migraines as well as treat migraine using the cannabidiol. The dosage is, uh, now first of all, migraine, we're not sure, it's still not well defined exactly what is a migraine or what causes a migraine, where the problem is. But a I lot think of people are trying to figure that out and they're doing trial and error and they're doing their own N equals one experiments. Is it food sensitivity? Is it is it something related to uh, all kinds of external factors? So yeah, we have a lot of people trying N equals one. I'm sure a lot of them would love to try this intervention as an N equals one as well. Yeah, and my, I've had great results using um, you know, cannabidiol in a modest dose as a maintenance, and then when the acute headaches, using uh, increasing to as much as necessary. Now, the general dosage guidelines with cannabidiol is that, number one, it doesn't have any toxicity, and it doesn't yep. have any significant adverse effects. Yep. And so it, the real guideline is use as much as needed in order to control your symptoms, and then readjust it. It doesn't matter whether it's twice a day, or three times a day, or four times a day. Yep. Adjust it to your particular need. Now, with you need to get a good product, though. There's so many products that are out there on the market. Yep. 
sure what's in them and how effective they are. Yep. That's why I've gone with Elixinol because I know what the product is. I can yep. see full analysis and I know what the balance is in those molecules and the about the dosage range, range for those particular problems, whether it's migraines or diabetes or cancer. I can get people started and then help make adjustments as they go along. So let's jump to cancer then. I, I have people in, in my own friends and family who are working with health practitioners. In these cases, they've already been diagnosed and they're working with a, a uh, integrative oncologist who is including this as part of the regimen. In other cases, I'm really curious about your thoughts on using them as, as a preventative mechanism for cancer. So both from a prevention and from a treatment point of view, can you share how these products are used in, in the realm of cancer? Yes. Um, so cannabidiol has actually got some extraordinary evidence in preclinical studies. We don't have any human studies. There's a lot of complications for doing human sure. studies, and, and we're not right at that at level yet. We don't have those, and that takes that takes decades in order to produce that. Mm -hmm. But the, the preclinical evidence is really superb. Almost all cancer types are respond to cannabidiol in terms of their cannabidiol having this feature that it induces cell death in cancer cells, but not only cancer cells, any abnormal cell, it will induce a death uh, to yep. it, self-death. It doesn't kill it. It signals the, the cell to die. And in yep. that process, it self-destructs. Autophagy. Is it the same as autophagy, for example, when you're fasting, or is it different from that? It's similar to that, but actually that um, autography is actually the breakdown of the materials of the cell, or the, but with the cell death is slightly different in that. And, sure. and the cannabidiol is inducing a cell death. Now, at the same time it's inducing cell death in the abnormal cells, it's supporting and protecting normal cells. Yep. You can immediately see it in the case where you might get chemotherapy. It's going to protect the normal tissues, yes. which is so often damaged by the yep. chemo and radiation, while, while killing and facilitating and enhancing the killing effect of chemo and radiation on those cells, as well as it's having its own property. Now, for the cancer effects, cannabidiol has has been shown magnificently to have effect of killing the cancer cells, but also preventing metastasis and preventing extension of the cells. So they, as they spread out, they can't spread out. It blocks yep. that spreading. Yep. And it prevents the formation of vasculature that yep. will be associated with it. And it stops the inflammation that is surrounding the cells. In yep. addition, it continues to paralyze the cancer cells at the mitochondrial level. So they cannot function properly, and that's another reason why they induce uh, apoptosis, the, the killing, the self-killing that goes on with it. So it sounds like those things are very similar to the reasons people are using ketogenic diets for cancer. The same yeah. types of reasons, starving the cell and preventing growth of the cancer cells while not inhibiting the growth of the healthy cells, using a ketogenic diet as an adjunct to chemotherapy to help lessen the toxicity. So when I was hearing you state those benefits, that's, that's all the reasons people come to me and tell me they're using a keto diet for cancer. And it sounds like the cannabidiols are doing the same thing. So it almost seems like you could get a one-two punch if you combine yes. low-carb keto exactly with exactly right. Like another another exponential way. And even if you are using it with a conventional chemo, it sounds like these are very complementary and perhaps far more powerful together than either one of them on their own. Ketones specifically act at um, certain receptors in the nucleus. It's called the PPAR receptors. Mm -hmm. And they're signaling that, that receptor to produce a cascade of anti-inflammatory cytokines yep. and reflexes and enzymes. It's also signaling the mitochondria to change their metabolic slant towards 
fat metabolism and away from carbohydrate metabolism. Yep. And that's the same thing. Cannabidiol does the same thing, but cannabidiol goes much further. It's just that you, as you mentioned, starving the cancer cell, not allowing any carbohydrates to for them to, the cancer cells to bypass and get around and defend themselves. And really with the, the ketogenic diet being really focused on both the nucleus and on the mitochondria and denying um, substrate for them to, uh, for metabolism and growth. On the cannabidiol side, you also have that anti-metastasis feature yes. and the anti-blood vessel feature that goes into it. So um, let's, let's shift a little bit to prevention because we talked about treatment and a lot of the prominent uh, speakers in the ketogenic well, world. Just before, I don't want yes. to go too fast on the, on the cancer. Got it, please. Yes, some, close out there. There is some specific protocols that I found very, very successful via yes. the Lixinol product. And I can, I can highly recommend, I've got a number of patients who've gone into remission from stage four disease. Yep. Now, this is certainly no guarantee, and I'm, I'm not, uh, not going to suggest that. But using cannabidiol, you, you actually get a number of uh, other benefits that come in. And I, and I often overlook the benefit. You know, the anti-nausea effect. It comes with the cannabidiol, improvement in mood and general well-being. The analgesic effect. So often patients with cancer are sick and they're in pain, and the cannabidiol will help correct that, as well as treat uh, depression and mood disturbances. Yes. And protect their normal tissue from that chemo and radiation. So cannabidiol offers a, a host of other benefits and protections in the treatment of cancer, as and in great in combination with a ketogenic diet. But Unfortunately, so many patients are not willing to go to the ketogenic approach uh, for situations. So combining those, those would be an ideal situation. And I tell people about ketogenic diet, but I have very few takers who are really willing to go there. Understood. In terms of dosing for cannabidiol, using a full spectrum product, I found that 90 milligrams is an effective dose. Yep. Don't have to do 10, 2,000 milligrams. Not in my experience with the remissions I had. It's on the order of 90 milligrams. And there are a few other things that we need to talk about, and that is omega-3s. Mm -hmm. Cannabidiol does not work in omega-3 deficiency. And the reason why is that omega-3s are precursor molecules to the endocannabinoid system. Okay. And cannabidiol won't work in it. You've got to have the omega-3s because they represent a major portion of the receptors on the cells yep. and the signaling molecules that the body uses in the endocannabinoid system for telling the body what to do and action-oriented within the cellular systems. Yet another reason to be making sure that you're, you're properly getting enough omega-3 either from diet or from supplementation. So that sounds like it's an important part of the puzzle here as well. Are you seeing, Dr. Blair, any of the conventional treatment facilities starting to adopt this alongside the conventional treatments, or is this still not something that is acknowledged, recognized from traditional chemotherapy-based approaches? I don't see anybody using this particular approach. Uh, they're, they're very reluctant in light of uh, some of the controversy that goes Understood. on. Understood. Okay. So, but, but in terms of prevention of cancer, I mean, this is really quite valuable. Yes, it has, um, because of the uh, benefits of cannabidiol in general, low doses of cannabidiol could, be, uh, could prevent cancer very effectively and prevent recurrence of cancer after somebody has already had it. The patients that I have in remission are perfect examples. Well, uh, if you listen to experts like Dr. Thomas Seafried, uh, Dom Diagostino, they often will, will state that as a preventative technique, a, an extended fast done once or twice per year where you're pushing your glucose ketone index below two 
for example, is an effective cancer prevention strategy. And just being on a low-carb diet in general can be a preventative strategy. There's, there are cancer causes coming at us from all angles in our society. Toxicity, uh, exposure to chemicals, uh, excessive sugar consumption. So there's all of these forces coming at us. What are our defenses? It is using a low-carb diet, potentially doing extended fasts throughout the year, perhaps twice a year where you do a three-day fast or longer. But I'm also very interested in this as uh, cannabidiols as, as, a, as an add-on therapy where this is just something, I mean, I've, I've got a handful of supplements on my desk I take every day. And would this be something that could be safely added on a daily basis as part of a prevention strategy, just like you'd take an omega-3 fish oil? Is that a good way to think about it? I think that that is a very good approach. Um, it, it has preventive qualities, but it also provides in performance enhancement. So what I see using cannabidiol is a number of particular benefits that are wonderful features, and it's um, sort of ideal for a supplement. Things like improved uh, mental focus and yep. clarity, clearing the fog a relaxation and a calmness so that you're better able to deal with situations. The concept that you, you want to take care of stuff and get things done, a motivational and, a, and an action-oriented, so you're really truly activate. There's also an improvement in your vision, so you're actually seeing better, greater distance and greater refinement. Um, and I have to warn people that they may have to get new glasses when they mm. use because their vision will improve. It's and what would, be a, what would be a maintenance dose? You mentioned 90 milligrams on the cancer side. What about just day-to-day -day general health, prevention, and wellness? Where would you well, start? 15 somewhere? milligrams per day seems to be a, about uh, a really good maintenance dose. I usually, I recommend twice a day, so 15 yep. milligrams twice a day. Because mm -hmm. one of the other benefits we didn't get to was sleep. People have generally improved sleep quality with it. And it's, so, very, it's very subtle. And with regard to performance, you have greater tolerance of um, anaerobic activity. And you're going to have faster repair of any type of injuries. Yep. It's anti-inflammatory in a superb way. So if you're going to strain or pull a muscle or cause some soreness, cannabidiol is going to control that. So you've got very fast recovery after um, vigorous exercise. And your reflexes are about cut in half in terms of the speed with which you can react. Imagine a ball player of any sort um, being in, in any type of competition. Improved reflexes will give them the edge in whatever sport that they're in. Well, that's a wonderful segue to some of the questions we got from our, our users. And you touched on one that's incredibly intriguing. We have a lot of users now who are using very, very accurate devices that measure sleep quality. And not just total quantity, they report on the amount of time spent in each of the sleep stages, deep, REM, light, total, etc. And there's a lot of Heads Up Health users that are looking to, they're seeing perhaps very low deep sleep or low REM sleep or poor sleep quality in general. And so one of the questions was specifically related to the sleep stages, if you have information there. Oh yeah, I've got specific and then, information. Cannabidiol has been shown to be effective at reducing the amount of REM type of anxiety related sleep and it reduces that particular area and it leads to greater stage four sleep deep so sleep stage four being deep deep sleep yes yep. so deep a reduction area. in anxiety ram higher deep sleep that's what a lot of the people who are using the aura ring i have it here and other sleep tracking devices the average person now is able to start quantifying these benefits. And I spoke with one of the doctors on our advisory board who has reproduced these results himself. So yeah, very fascinating how this applies to people with good sleep who want to get better sleep. And then what about people who have insomnia? 
I had one of the questions. So that, that first question was from one of our individuals, Chuck, who is, uh, he's with a company called Aura. Yeah. So just a little more on how it improves the sleep stages. And then maybe we can segue to uh, insomnia as, as the next part of the discussion. Well, cannabidiol doesn't put you to sleep. It's actually been um, used as a waking molecule. It helps you wake up, be alert, be able to get things done. That's great. But at the same time, in uh, giving that calmness and that relaxation, that really facilitates sleep and a better quality of sleep and a deeper sleep yep. in that process. And you don't uh, have to take it. One second. Don't take I, it. Okay. Yes. So we were on the topic of sleep stages specifically. Yeah. So when, I, when people use cannabidiol, what the, it's that side benefit. Using it during the day, they improve their sleep. Mm -hmm. And universally, people will tell me, well, gee, yeah, I did sleep better. I slept better than I usually sleep. Now, it's not anything dramatic, and it doesn't knock you out. It just gives you a normal, deeper sleep, uh, higher quality. But well, don't quantify it right it. before bedtime because okay. it can activate you. It activates gotcha. your brain, yep. and you can get really kind of cranked up thinking about things, and that will prevent you from going to sleep. So how far before sleep would you recommend? One to two hours before, two sleep, hours. before sleep time. Yep. Um, it's a lot of variable because some people do take it in the night. If they wake up, they'll use the CBD and it'll, they'll be able to go to sleep right afterwards. You've got to experiment. It's a very customized individual. And that's the same thing for the doses. If you're going to use cannabidiol, you want to find out if it's, if it's working and you want to find the dose that's effective for you. And sometimes whatever's written on the bottle, it may not be the one that works for you because everybody's cannabinoid system is different. So of course. you've got to find the, the dose that is effective for the symptom. And the that dose and the product. I, I and you've got to do, you should do that quickly. Don't yeah. wait around for weeks. I talked to a woman this morning who had been on a product for three months and hadn't seen any benefit from it. Yeah. But for three months, um, whereas I talked to her and I like to talk people through their first dose because when she didn't respond to the first dose, I said, double it. Yep. Right now, double it. Now hold it in your mouth and use it for and, and hold it for three minutes, and then let's see the effects. And then I could see the changes. She changed her voice, the speed of her language, um, her enthusiasm, and she started laughing at me. And it wasn't. It was an appropriate laughter. It was a humor. It's a, a lightening of the mood, an improvement, and relaxation, so that people will laugh. And it's it's that normal improved sociability that occurs. Yep. A bit of a humor and a smile. Another gentleman I saw today was, uh, was PTSD, yep. and I, he was the first time using I had him take a few of the liposomes. Yep. And lipos Elixinol has a product called Liposomes, which is, is a small, micro-sized uh, CBD that is, is wrapped with a phosphate shell that makes it water-soluble. Yep, so familiar with yep. water. Yep. And it has greater potency, greater bioavailability, and so that one milligram of the liposomes is about five uh, milligrams of the tincture. In his case, he took two pumps of it, basically two milligrams, and he started smiling. Appropriately, yeah. his voice deepened. And typically, there's an octave drop in the yep. voice. He started talking faster. And this is a, a Marine that was uh, on a SEAL team that had a trauma and he had a great deal of anxiety and difficulty. And he took his usual position in the corner of the room facing outward so that he was well aware and that hypervigilance yes. was active. With one dose of CBD, he mellowed, he relaxed, his voice changed, um, and he was talking uh, deeper, he was smiling. And so there was real laughter that came from it. And that's one of the, the hallmarks with a, of an adequate dose of CBD. 
is a natural the relaxation. Yeah, you've touched on a few best practices so far. One is is to make sure it's one to two hours before bed. The second is finding an appropriate dose, perhaps starting at five or 10 or 15 milligrams. And if you're not seeing an effect, quickly moving up in dosage. You also mentioned holding it under the tongue for a certain period of time. So those are some of the any other recommendations on, on first introducing this and making sure you're doing it properly, first and foremost? So those are a few best practices. Any others that you run into that? Well, a lot of people will be inclined to get capsules. And if you get a capsule, that's fine, except that when you take a capsule, it goes into the stomach and it goes through a liver metabolism before yeah. it gets into the bloodstream, mm -hmm. which um, may not be as effective for you. But everybody's different. I would say, you know, a capsule may be perfectly fine and it's not the only practical way for you to take it. Yep. But if you're not sure you're getting the full effect, bite the capsule yep. and swish it in your mouth because CBD has an extraordinary ability to be absorbed by the mucous membrane and yep. the skin yep. as well. So you can use it on the skin. Um, Dave, if you've gone to my YouTube, you've seen Ter Teresa, yep. who is a, was an Alzheimer's patient in Canada. And I used the CBD on her and I reversed her Alzheimer's disease in less than four weeks. Yep. Cool. Topical use only. Okay. So it's so, very, very well penetrated. Eric is another individual who uh, has some insomnia related issues. He has to use multiple prescription uh, drugs to sleep on a nightly basis. He had asked how he might start experimenting with this for an insomnia based use case. What would you recommend in that specific application? Well, I, I think I, I would use about 30 milligrams in the evening, probably uh, supper time or a little bit later, definitely not after 9, 9 p.m. Okay. Um, and assuming that he's going to sleep at uh, 11, 10 sure. or 11, something like that. Yep. Uh, and then see if it's going to benefit him. I, I haven't had great success with primary sleep disorders. Okay. So when people have really sl difficult sleep problems. Uh, CBD hasn't been quite enough, but there's an interesting feature with CBD that taking it, you may not realize that you have slept. So yep. it's really important that you have those devices for monitoring because that will give you the true indication. The hard data. Exactly. Yep. That's great. Um, okay. That's, that's helpful. And then Denise had asked, she is dealing with uh, autoimmune condition, ulcerative colitis, and she was wondering if this is something she should consider for her condition. Absolutely. There's really excellent information about the effects of cannabidiol on ulcerative colitis. And in fact, all of the inflammatory bowel disease and the irritable bowel disease well, now, especially if it's all in the, if, if so much of this system is, is, is in the gut, as you mentioned, that it seems logical that if there are going to be benefits that the uh, digestive related and gut related immune, autoimmune diseases stand to benefit particularly well. Well, as well as the cramping, there's a great deal of cramping with these disorders yep. and CBD will stop that cramping yep. and it will stop the inflammation in the gut. Yep. You're going to get a correction for a lot of these problems very quickly. Yep. Uh, so there's, there's a number of particular benefits going to reduce the, the contractions and the hyper irritability as well as the pain. Now, a lot of people with irritable bowel as well as inflammatory bowel have, are extremely sensitive in their gut so that they have many more receptors than are in regular people. Yep. And if you can calm those down, you can reduce a great deal of pain and you can calm down a lot of that inflammation. And specifically, cannabidiol has been very effective at working on uh, those um, cytokines that are involved in the inflammatory bowel disease. Things like 
uh, tumor necrosis factor. In fact, that's one of the major biologic therapies that people receive is anti-tumor necrosis factor or receptor type of agents. Very expensive on the order of $4,000 a month uh, in order to get those kinds of treatment. And cannabidiol could do, can do as least as well and better um, without any side effects or um, immune deficiency type yep. of problems that can come from those agents. Cool. Thank you. And then a um, couple more here, Dr. Blair. This is from so just Gina. Just let me say about the, yeah. the dosage on that. You're, you're yes, really please. looking at 60 to, to 90 milligrams. To you start. You just needed to control the symptoms right away and then back off to a maintenance dose as you, as you progress. Start 60 to 90 and then back off from there. Okay, so Gina was reporting that she'd tried CBD oil in the past with a nocturnal seizure disorder. And she said, well, it helped with sleep and possibly some relaxation. Subsequently, there was instances of depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. She tried it again a year later with no depression, but anxiety occurred. So again, we don't know what product was used in this case. There's different qualities. There may also, we're not even sure it was 100% CBD. There may have been mixtures of, of THC in there and, and that, that may have caused it. But what, what comes up for you with, uh, with that comment? Is there I've anything you recommend? Seen, I've never seen depression or reactive depression occur with cannabidiol, with, with the Elixinol product. Yep. I've never seen that sort of thing happen. And um, there is no rebound. There is no withdrawal. Yep. Uh, there is no potentiation um, in that way. So um, that is, that's very unusual situation. Now, on the other hand, there are some people extremely sensitive, about one in a hundred, that if they take too much cannabidiol, they'll actually get um, an anxiety and an agitation. Most people get a relaxation and tremendous relief from anxiety. Got it. One in a rare individual will, if they take too much, get a little bit antsy. Not, not be at their optimum. That, that's easy enough. Just drop down. Island back. Great. Okay. Very helpful. So um, just one last question, Dr. Blair, and, and you're working with a lot of individuals dealing with, with PTSD. And are you seeing a lot of work around other remedies related to things like psilocybin or MDMA or other modalities? Are you seeing these on the horizons? I know that's not specifically related to your work, but are you starting to see that come up more in some of the clinical research or around some of the alternative therapies that are coming out? Well, I'm seeing all range of alternative therapies that are being yep. done, not those in particular. Yep. Uh, of course, the, the strong movement to uh, for medical marijuana for types. So there's a lot of different therapy approaches that people are using, trying yep. to figure out what to do and, yep. and behavioral therapy as yes. well counseling, and, and loads and loads of drugs. Uh, a lot of these people don't respond with. But with, with PTSD, it's such a superb response with full-spectrum cannabidiol. I've been amazed that people go into remission and they have a resolution of their PTSD. Yep. So the problem, they don't have to maintain a high dose and they can continue at a much lower dose. So, uh, Dr. Blair, last question here. If someone wants to get started, and I went to your website last night, there's a range of products on there. If we were just looking for one for an individual to get started, there were the liposomal, it looked like there were some tablets, there were, there were different uh, products on there. Break it down to the simplest starting point for the person who wants to introduce this modality and start doing some of their own N equals one experimentation. Where would they go on, on your website and, and where should we start? 
I think the best product to start with is probably the liposomes. Okay. And that's a hemp extract liposomes. And the reason is because it's palatable. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great bioavailability. It's yep. water soluble. So yep. you can mix it into um, other substances. Um, and it's very uh, receptive by other members of the family. It can also be used topically. And now, once again, you just have to find the right dose. The price point on it is pretty reasonable at about yep. $59. So that's very, very good. Now, if you yep. want to get the lowest price area and still get some benefit and sort of buy your trial, then the tincture 300 is a great way to go because it may not last you very long, but you'll find out what is the right dose for you. Now, some people do really well with the tinctures and some people do well with the liposomes. You got to find out which one works best for you. But the liposomes, the jar of the liposomes can last you a full month. And so it's, it's a great place to start. And the standard dose of five pumps, which is five milligrams twice a day, is terrific. Now, if you want, if you'd find out that you need to have so much of the uh, tincture, like 90 milligrams, you're taking care of cancer, then you want the big bottle yep. of the tincture. So now, five pumps is five milligrams, just for people who are trying to correlate back to some of the examples you gave of different starting places, depending on the condition. Say that again? Five pumps correlates to five milligrams. That's exactly right. Got it. On the other side, you're looking for the premier product that Lixinol offers is actually what's called an X-Pen. It's yep. a concentrate. I saw that. It's very, very effective. And it has a number of other cannabinoids mixed in with it, give it an extra boost and an effectiveness. And I'm not talking about psychoactive. I'm really talking about anti-inflammatory character uh, that goes on. Well, this has been incredible. I think this information will, will benefit a huge number of one people. More. Yes. There's one more. Yes. There is a product called Respira. It yep. can be actually incorporated as a vaporizer. Yep. And so using it in an e-cigarette type fashion, you can get delivery of CBD to the brain in a matter of seconds using it as a vaporizer. It only contains uh, vegetable glycerin yep. and CBD. It does not contain any propylene glycol, which has um, been concerning. There's been some concerns about that. Very effective, a very low cost. Um, so it's, it's a great all-around benefit. And I recommend it as a, as a sort of a complement to a total CBD therapy. Yes, well, I know that I'm already excited about starting to incorporate this into my routine. I take a number of liposomal products, so I'll probably start with the liposomal product myself. And I think that this information will benefit a number of people. As I mentioned, we've got individuals who are very invested in monitoring and tracking their health. They're always looking for new interventions that they can try on their own. You've provided us with some some incredible information we are extremely grateful for your time, and thank you for, for, uh, for being here today. Well, Dave, thank you for having me. I'm going to talk about my favorite subjects and how to transform people's lives through cannabidiol and these other measures and a, and a ketogenic diet. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Blair. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 